Okay. Yet, but I think I should say that we're the Imperial Reader. <laughs> and then you're the Rebel Reader. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Jamie, and welcome to Imperial Hearts. I'm the Rebel Reader. <laughs> hi, this is Stina, and I'm the Imperial Reader. <laughs> And welcome to the first episode of the Imperial Hearts Book Club, episode six of the podcast. First book club episode. It's actually kind of true, though, because I did focus a lot. A lot of my notes are about Imperial stuff. Really? That's cool. Yeah. Um, um, okay, so... Do you want to start with some uh, Star Wars news this week in Star Wars? Yeah, let's let's hear some news. Okay, so uh, we should get we should eventually get some little jingles, which is like the news. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> when we can, once we once we get a better microphone, then we'll get some jingles. Yeah. Um. So, uh, my first point is that in, there was a new episode of Star Wars Oxygen today. Today is uh. Wednesday, what's May the, what's Star Wars Oxygen? 12th? It's the 12th today? No, it's the 11th. Um, Oxygen is a podcast on Rebel Force Radio, which is one of the largest Star Wars podcasts. I thought we're the largest Star Wars podcast. Hmm? I thought we're the largest Star Wars podcast. Yeah, you wish. Um, like two episodes. <laughs> uh, Oxygen is about the music of John Williams, and it is one of... It is my favorite Star Wars podcast, and it is one of the best podcasts out there and they talk about the music and new episode just came out today Mm -hmm. um they're pretty much finishing up their discussion about the force awakens music and it is so good and if you have any feelings about the music in star wars i highly highly recommend this podcast it's really good it's called star wars oxygen new episode today episode 30 you can find it at rebel force radio so nice yes Uh, also a piece of news I heard today because the first episode of the Star Wars show on StarWars.com came out today. Okay. And uh, they had a piece of news for Star Wars Celebration London this summer, and that is that Kathleen Kennedy is going to be hosting a Rogue One panel at Celebration. And I Ooh. am, yeah, very excited about that. So we're going to get some Rogue One news. Kathleen Kennedy is the president of Lucasfilm. Okay, I didn't actually, I'm not asking that for the audience, I actually, wanted, oh, yeah. I mean, I've heard her name before, but I yeah. wasn't sure if she was, like, the producer or what. She is the producer. She is, um, a industry veteran producer who's been working with Steven Spielberg, and she was, like, mm-hmm. head of Amblin Entertainment, and said, you know, said to be the most powerful woman in Hollywood, and she is president of Lucasfilm. Most and, powerful woman in Hollywood. Mm-hmm, that's what they say. Well, there's only, like, three women in Hollywood, so... But, um... So, you're top of that heap, heap, Kathleen Kennedy. Um, yeah. Anyway, Rogue One panel, celebration. I'm really excited about that. We'll probably get some news about the story. Uh, secondly, it was Star Wars Day last week, and we bought a bunch of Star Wars comics, so we're going to be doing a bunch of comic... Uh, we'll, we'll get to comics discussions on upcoming sort of book club, more mini book club episodes... Uh, we bought uh, Volume 1 of Darth Vader, Volume 1 of Star Wars, um, Shattered Empire. Wait, what's that? It's just... Yeah, it's just called Star Wars, and it just takes place, like, after the movies, I think, the first... It's just more Star Wars? Yeah, it's just more Star Wars adventures. Like, the first one is about Luke. Excellent. Yeah. And Shattered Empire, which is about, like, exactly sort of post-Return of the Jedi um, canon, and Kanan, Volume 1, which is about Kanan... The last Padawan from uh, Rebels. The last he, Padawan? That's what they call him. That's what the subtitle of the comic is that's called. That's a dumb 
<laughs> sounds so in a, it sounds like he's still gonna be wearing his little rat I, tail. I think he is. He it, it's set it's set like. Oh, I guess he kind of he has a he kind of does he has like a ponytail. Yeah. So he's kind of like still a Padawan and. Well, he gets knighted. Oh, spoiler alert. Sorry. Yeah, that happens in Rebels. And uh, then we also bought the first issue. I'm sure if anyone's listening to this podcast, yeah, they either won't remember that when they watch Rebels if they haven't watched it, or, yeah, or they don't mind, or they don't mind. It's not like a major spoiler. Uh, we bought the first issue of Lando, Chewbacca, and Vader down, which is Darth Vader gets uh, stranded on a planet by himself. I think. Cool. It has to have like Vader adventures. So. Cool. The Darth Vader comic is pretty awesome. I did read the first volume, and we'll have to talk about it because it's it's pretty cool. Okay. So anyway, so those are uh, that was mostly my news. Do you have any news? I have lots of news. Okay. My my news is game news. Ooh. Uh, so today, Fantasy Flight announced that they're going to be releasing three new figure packs for Imperial Assault. Ooh. And one of them is Obi Wan. Uh, one of them is Greedo. And the third one is the High Fucking Inquisitor from Rebels. Rebels, and yes, it's funny because like when I was watching that show, that character wasn't that appealing to me. But like afterwards, yeah, as it went on, especially after they introduced the other Inquisitor, yeah, he seemed like way way cooler in comparison to the other Inquisitors who were the worst. So I'm like, I'm really like looking forward to that, and I'm really looking forward to what that says for Imperial Assaults. Like, yeah. are we going to get more Rebels characters? Yeah, and, and, and we were talking about this just before the podcast. Are they going to do a different timeline? Are they going to do a pre-Episode 4 timeline? Because the Grand Inquisitor is not active at the time that Imperial Assault is currently set. Yeah, so... So, like, they what, might. what's that about? Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if they address that on the card. Like, if it's, like, use this mission only in this timeline. It, yeah, I mean, it doesn't even matter. It's all, like, it would have to be... You would have to be in its own timeline? Yeah. But, I, I'm, I don't know, maybe they've got some plans for Rebels that we don't know about. Yeah, it's interesting. Um... Because we expected their next major expansion would be, like, Andor or something. But yeah, maybe it won't be. Yeah. Um, okay. So, and then the other one is that uh, last week they announced a new X-Wing expansion. Yeah. Which is yeah. Rey, Rey and the Millennium Falcon. Yep. And Poe Dameron's private ship. Yeah. Just po- black one. Yeah, I know. I'm so excited. I've been sort of anticipating uh, them releasing a Black One miniature for X-Wing as soon as we started playing X-Wing. Yeah, you were like, where's the Poe shit? Yeah, where's Black One? I want I want to play with that one. And the, you you were asking about this. The um, That expansion comes with Snap Wexley. Snap Wexley. <laughs> the card. I just like saying his name. I know. Snap Wexley. I know, and he's... he's I can just imagine, like, everyone... Everyone in that universe likes saying it too. They're like, yeah. Snap Wexley, aren't you just the last pilot I expected to see? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You old scallywag. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's got such a Star Wars name. Yeah. It's perfect. Exactly. So it's beautiful. He's, he's a memorable character. So he, uh, the new black one in Millennium Falcon exp- expansion comes with his Is Snap Wexley even in the movie or is he just, yeah, he's, he's like in the background? He is actually the pilot who flies the reconnaissance mission to Starkiller Base and gets tracked 
back to the Eileen Aim system. Oh, so he's kind of like the, uh, he's the Neville Longbottom. <laughs> Gryffindors and then you have Neville. <laughs> Snaps yeah. the Neville. Snaps the Neville. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, poor Snap. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, he doesn't know that he gets tracked. No. But, but when we cut back to... And he's like, him and Podameron got trained at the same place. Right. And like, one of them might have become the half-blood prince, but <laughs> Poe ended up being the best pilot. <laughs> Ron. <laughs> yeah. And then Poe is um, Hermione because he's really, really good at stuff. True. He's overpowered. True. Although Finn is kind of the voice of reason and Poe is the sort of like wisecracking uh, That's daredevil. True. So Poe could They're a combination. They're a combination. Yeah. yeah. And is, just... like, is like Kylo Ren the Draco or is Hux the Draco? Hux is the Draco. No. Well, no. Kylo, Kylo Ren is the... Okay, so here's the th if Harry Potter Harry Potter doesn't have enough enough Slytherins, so like no, it's true. all three of the Slytherins in Star Wars are all Draco combined. But if they true. if they just split Draco apart into three people, yeah, Draco is a fusion. They just break him apart, and he'd be yeah. Kylo, the the smart one, the angry one, and the because he's all and them. the tough one. Yeah, well, Phasma could be like. The bodyguard, because she doesn't say very much. She's just tough. She's the crab and goyle? Yeah, she's the crab and goyle. And cool. there is... That... Those books would have been better if there had been... If they were in space. Yeah, if it was Near just Star Wars. space wizards. So Star Wars. Star Wars. <laughs> oh, we're in the case. <laughs> we were, what were we talking about? Uh, that was it. We were just... That was <laughs> Snap the... books. That's going to be the title of this podcast. <laughs> Snap Buxley is the Neville Longbottom of Star Wars. Yeah, he's kind of chubby too. I know. <laughs> kinda... He's like the one who's like, wait for me guys. <laughs> he's the slip and then... The slip? The slip. <laughs> the slip is like, that's the spin stormtrooper buddy who gets shot by Poe in like the first scene. His name is Slip? Well, that's not his real name. Well, it's... This is... is that the fandom's name for him? No. Is his the... name like SLP57 or something? No, his name is... Oh god, it's you know FN twenty one hundred or something, and he's oh. um he was called Slip in Slip. before the Awakening, and that's adorable. He always he's the worst one, and he's always dragging behind, and Finn's always going back for him, and I always love that character. Yeah, he's just like kind of a fuck up, and yeah. But then <laughs> then in the like the in episode nine, like that Bugsy's gonna show up with Luke Skywalker's lightsaber and cut the head off of. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, 
this podcast is mostly just gonna be laughing. Snap Wesley is like officially my new favorite character. Oh my god. Oh. I'm literally crying right now. Okay. Okay, we should probably oh. move on to our book review. Oh uh, yeah. Wes, do you have any more news? Uh, not really. No, I did oh I did have um two two corrections from episode four. Uh, I said that um, Disney bought Lucasfilm in 2014, I meant 2012, and Darth Vader's flagship is indeed called The Executor. We were right about that. Oh. So. Cool. There you go. Okay. Okay, we were here to talk about <clears throat> Alan Dean Foster's Force Awakens novelization. Uh, I don't know how many of you read it by now, but we're going to talk specifics, so... Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Also, spoiler for the movie. Yeah, I don't know what you're doing listening to this podcast if you hadn't seen the movie, but we're going to spoil it, so. Can I talk about my first point, which is related? Yes. I feel like this book was written for people who've already seen the movie. I I 100% agree. Because it spoils certain reveals that are in the movie. And it also doesn't stand alone as a book. Not at all. So, I, I completely agree. Okay. Um, like, one of the things that I like about this book is they choose to show more than you see in the movie. Like, you have scenes where you see, like, it's not a surprise when Poe shows up and he's still alive. Yes. It's not a surprise where Leia is. Like, the first scene has Leia in it, which I thought was really cool because if you're someone who, like, I mean, it works either way. Like, I think if, if, like, Leia's a reveal in the movie. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think as a reader, if you only saw the old Star Wars movies and you never saw the new one, you'd be like, oh, Leia, I know who she is. Right. Yeah. So it kind of grounds you back into the story. Yeah. And I think uh, overall, something I wanted to say sort of before we got into the content was that uh, when I first read this book in December, I guess, uh, after the movie came out, I listened to the audiobook. So the audiobook production quality is extremely high. And it's super cool. They have music, they have sound effects, all of the droid characters use droid dialogue, like BB-8 and R2-D2 have like their dialogue in the, in the audiobook. Uh, they have like a voice modulator for Kylo Ren, so it's like sound, sounds like his voice. They have like lightsaber sound effects and X-Wing and TIE Fighter sound effects. They, uh, the narrator does voices and accents for all the characters. Damn. So... Um, I enjoyed the audiobook, you know, a fair amount when I was glancing through the hard copy, uh, to make notes and, and, uh, sort of mark some pages and I was reading some passages again, I noticed that the flaws of the book are much more visible in the hard copy than they were in the audiobook, which kind of covered up some of the more, um, you know, some of the weaker aspects of the writing, I think. Uh, so if, if you do want to read the book, um... I actually, I do recommend the audiobook. It's quite fun. So, cool. That would be my comment about that. Sounds good. Um, so do you have more overall? I have a bunch of like overall. Yeah, why don't you say one? I just said one. <clears throat> no, I just said one. Oh, the audiobook. Okay. Um, well, let's get this out of the way. Yep. This book is written by a man. Yep. Sure is. <laughs> sure is. And he defaults to male yes. at every turn. That, that's my second point as well. Yes. Um, at every turn, he's like, hey, hey, ladies. 
Do you know this book is written by a man? Yeah. Don't forget, there's lots of men in the Star Wars universe. All over the place. Mm -hmm. There's men everywhere. Yep. Anyway, um... That, that was something that, um... Even when he's talking about... Sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Even when he's talking about, um, uh, like, hypothetical people... Yes. He talks about hymns. Yes. And, uh, that was something... Like, this book was written... From what I understand, this book was written from the shooting script. So, <clears throat> there are a couple of changes from the, uh final cut of the movie. Of course, you'll recognize a lot of the deleted scenes uh, from the movie are in the book, and of course there's just more content. But it's clear, as a result of that, that a lot of the minor characters whose gender wasn't specified in the script, yeah, every single one of those characters is male in the, in the novelization. Mm -hmm. Whereas a number of those characters in the movie were not. Yeah. And I paid specific attention to that because in the movie that was something that I really appreciated. Yeah. There are female stormtroopers, there's female officers in both the Resistance and the, the, uh, the First Order. And um, it bugged me when I got to a couple of those sequences in the book and found a male character substituted for what was a female character in the movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, one of the... Other than the stormtrooper who talks to Kylo about um, Rey escaping, one of the ones that really sticks out to me is the um, bridge officer who talks to General Hux about the TIE fighter being shot down over Jakku. That character has quite a few lines, well, relatively, in, in the movie, and she, she stands out. She's an older woman with, like, killer cheekbones. She's got her hair pulled back. Yeah, I think I remember and, her. Um, she even has her own entry in the Visual Dictionary. Wow. She's one of the only named characters. What's her name? Her name, oh, I can't remember what her rank is, but her last name is Unamo. Oh, that's good. And, yeah, she actually has a name. And uh, she's a unnamed male character in the novel. Of course. That's, um, so, yeah, that bugged me. He obviously didn't consider that important. He just, he nope. was like, obviously he didn't think about it. It was just like, oh, here's a generic person. Yeah, it's a dude. Yeah. And, um, wait, that was my point. You want to make a point? Uh, sure. Yeah, I guess, like, uh, another An overall point. Sort of overall point. Um, I think, you know, speaking to the fact that it was written based on the shooting script before the movie had been shot, um, it's missing a lot of the warmth and charm and humor Agreed. of the movie. Like, there are so many parts of the... The, the films that are so much more alive because of the chemistry between the actors. Agreed. And there's like a, um, I don't know that I could, well, I guess we can just cut out my pause. It doesn't have a lot of the humor. It. Yeah. it's it, the And sometimes it even has the lines that are the same, yeah. but it's not as funny. And it's clear that it's it's not as funny. Um, oh God, I love your post-its. They're adorable. <laughs> yeah, I know. I have a... Rilakkuma post-its. Rilakkuma post-it notes in this, um... Uh, yeah, there was a line that I wanted to read out um, as a result of that. Yeah, I think it's this one. Yeah, okay, so it's the scene where um, Finn and Han have uh, captured Captain Phasma. And um, you remember that part in the movie, Han asks if there's a garbage chute 
And like Finn gives him this grin and he's like, yeah, there is, you know, and Phasma kind of tilts her helmet like a puppy. It's a really funny scene. Anyway, um, so here's, uh, here's the, this sequence in the book. He glanced over at Han. What do we do with her? Han pondered a moment. Is there a garbage chute? Trash compactor? I have a pretty good idea how they work. When Finn threw him a quizzical look, Han shrugged. Let's just say I've had hands-on experience. Finn nodded. Yeah, there is. And like, Finn nodded? Yeah, there is? Like, I mean, obviously... It's gotta be... Yeah, yeah. it's like you want to make... Yeah, there is. Yeah, and and obviously he couldn't anticipate John Boyega's performance because it wasn't... It didn't exist yet. But there is so much charm and humor in that scene. And you don't get the impression that they're like, haha. Let's murder this person by putting them in a trash compactor. <laughs> it's kind of like this, ha, huh, let's throw her in the garbage. Like, it's funny. Yeah, it's funny. And this line, it, it falls so flat. And all There's the a lot of times like mm-hmm. that in this. All the characters are much flatter. And you can tell that, obviously, the screenwriters, um, because, you know, J.J. worked on the script and then he was directing, like, he obviously knew what he was going for in the script, and Alan Dean Foster just doesn't have the same sense of humor, so it it no. it's really missing that um, that that charm. And I think so. It that's why it only works in concert with the movie. Where you see the movie, you read the dialogue, and you can picture the actors saying it. It doesn't stand on its own. Um, and that's like a for me the sort of high point of the Star Wars novelizations is Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith. And, like, Revenge of the Sith is a flawed movie. Yeah. And that book stands alone without the movie. That's and cool. The book improves on the movie in innumerable ways, including the dialogue. Yeah. And it's better if you don't hear the actors performing it. That's cool. The dialogue is better. So it just stands... Uh, this book stands in serious contrast to that because that novel both improves the content of the movie and has its own style. Whereas this, the, you know, the, I would say, I described this book as competent. Bland? Yeah. It, it's, um, utilitarian. It does what it says on the tin. Yeah. But it doesn't... And in some places it's actually very technical. Yeah. Um, and that's one, that was one of the points that... Okay. <clears throat> go um, right into that. Like, they, there's this whole... I think he spends, like, a whole page talking about how the Star Killer weapon works. Yeah. And that's kind of something that I liked, because mm-hmm. you don't get that in the movie. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of cool where you, you learn certain, like, mechanics of how things work, or certain names of things, like ships. Yeah. Um, because it's a book, like, you can afford, like, you can afford to be really, um, descriptive. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's something I, I thought was, it made it bland, it made it drier, Mm -hmm. but it was also like, oh, good to know. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's true. There's there's sort of a balance there because there are a lot of things that are glossed over in the movie because it's so fast paced. Uh, totally. And, uh, you do have a chance to sort of expand on that a little bit, especially, yeah, the stuff with Starkiller is really cool because even though it doesn't bother me, it bothers a lot of people that... 
you know, the science of Starkiller. I don't care. It's, it's fucking Star it's Wars. Star Wars. Like, the Death Star is the most <clears throat> ridiculous thing. Exactly. Like, I, it's almost like a, it's not a sci-fi setting, it's a fantasy setting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fantasy. space opera. So, I don't need to know how Starkiller works. You can just tell me that it does, and sure, I'm there. I never even thought um, about it. But I do appreciate the way that it is described, uh, with, I think, the sort of hyperspace folding yeah is really cool that was really cool yeah because it's something i never thought about in the movie like mm-hmm. how does it travel so far so fast yeah but yeah so it's really cool and then it kind of what i liked about it is that it grants a level of technological superiority and like clever science to the first order that you don't necessarily see in the movie obviously they've got a lot of money and we've talked about that on the podcast before all the money and all the resources but that kind of level of engineering is a sort of unique feat that I think goes unsaid but is an interesting addition um because they've done something here that is um is beyond what we've seen before in the Star Wars universe and I I can't be coherent I didn't bookmark that passage about how Starkiller works but um some sort of what is it? Some sort of dark. It's like dark matter. Dark matter that goes through like a wormhole in hyperspace, basically, to take advantage of um, the way, like the folding of space time to travel yeah. across the galaxy in a really short amount of time. And it's really cool. Like somebody had to engineer that, and these people had to like develop that. And uh, mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And again, you know, maybe it goes back to like my corporate espionage kind of. Maybe we get some science. Um, like I love the way you just said science. (laughs) Yeah, like maybe we can get some of that in the Star Wars universe. Um, Maybe some shipbuilding and some some financial markets and some dark matter science. Banking clans. Banking clan. Yeah. Hyperspace factories. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Next point. Go ahead. I don't have any more overall points. Okay. Um. I guess my my one other sort of overall point is that uh, all the dialogue is very samey. Uh, yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't give uh, unique voices to the characters. No. Like, Ray's dialogue is weirdly... I hate the way he writes Ray. Yeah, her, her dialogue is not right at all, and she has the same... No. Like, she speaks with a sort of overly eloquent... Which everybody does. Everybody's got like super Colin. extra dialogue, and um, she just she doesn't speak with the kind of rough charm that you might expect from her isolated upbringing. On yeah, Dutch, like she yeah. grew up with Unkar Plutt. He's not. Yeah. I have. A, <laughs> yeah, I have a lot. I also have. We'll get to that. I have a lot I have of feelings. A lot of feelings too. about that, and yeah, they're me, not good ones. Yeah, me too. Um, I'm like mad. Yeah, me too. Okay. Um, oh, but I, the samey dialogue and like Kylo. <laughs> Kylo Ren is a Ky- fucking Machiavellian. <laughs> Kylo Ren's Evil dialogue. Genius. Oh my god, he's. He's so out of character. He is. He is quite out of character. He's just like. He's Lieutenant, a- do you know what the meaning is <laughs> of a flower? <laughs> He's like fucking Grand Admiral Thrawn. Yes, he is. He's just like... He's just like pontificates about everything. And it's... It's it's, ridiculous. In the movie, he's just such a like big puppy. Yeah. He's just a dumb fuck. He is. And his his dialogue. And like that's the thing is his... um, 
when he's not speaking in the book, he has a couple of really good scenes. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff with Kylo. Yeah, some really interesting stuff with Kylo. But when he... His dialogue. His dialogue is so over the top. And um, let's see, I think I bookmarked the scene with Maitaka because... Like, in the movie, he doesn't say very much. He doesn't need to say very much. But, um... It's just... Okay. Do you want to get to that point? In order, maybe? Sure. Yeah, we can cut this out. Um, yeah, okay, you want to talk about Ankar Plutt? Um, do you want to go in? Yeah, oh. okay, sure, yeah, let's talk about Ankar Plutt. Because that's kind of, a, that's a bit of an overall It's an point overall too. point. Yeah. Um, so, in this book, they chose, or he chose, to make, Car plot a sexual predator. Yeah, it's what the fuck? <laughs> it's really gross. It makes Ray's it's character really com- gross. Yeah, it makes Ray he turns Ray into a victim. Like she's like afraid of him. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. And, and they make like what the f- why did you have to like the the best thing about Star Wars? Yeah. Or at least the best thing about the new Star Wars is it doesn't make gender a thing. Yes. And it also doesn't have anything weirdly sexual. Yeah, with the notable exception of Jabba the Hutt in... Uh, Twice of the, new Star, yeah, the exactly. new Star Wars. But the new can Like, there's no sexual violence in Star Wars. No. Like, or, let's yeah. keep it that way. Jabba like, the Hutt was a mistake. Yeah. And... No sexual violence in Star Wars. Yeah. No, no even implied... Yeah, like, you know... Okay, so disgusting. when... Disgusting. When the Empire or the First Order captures you... There's no funny business. No. Nobody's creepy about it. And no. Ankar Plutt is creepy about it. And, and it that was and not necessary. And multiple times. Yeah. Like, yeah. All of his scenes. He, he has more scenes. Yeah, he does. They added more scenes with him. And it's not Rey who defeats him, but Chewbacca. Yeah. I, I, that, okay. So They added a new scene in where Ankar Plutt is in, in this book. Yeah. Shows up again. Yeah. And Chewbacca has to, to kill him for Ray because Ray can't do it. And okay, it's so like, what the f- Yeah, what happens is that he tracks the Millennium Falcon too to Maz Kanata's uh, cantina. Yeah. And he tracks them down and he shows up there uh, when so Ray gross. is separated from Han and Finn and yeah, Chewbacca comes up and saves her. It's kind of funny that he pulls his arm off though. Because that's not. <laughs> yeah, it's a book, so you can do it in the book. It's true. It would look funny in the movie. And they also like you know they set up that Wookiees pull people's arms off, so it was yeah, kind of funny. But it's but still that and that scene was so unnecessary. Like I was so surprised when Unkar Plutt yeah. showed up in the book that I honestly thought it was a at the beginning of her Force Vision. I was like, oh, is she having a flashback to Unkar Plutt? That's why he's here. And then I was like, no. oh no, he's actually wait, he's actually just here. Yeah. That's dumb. Yeah, it was really weird. I don't like... It's like becomes a subplot. Yeah. And, and like... I mean, I should note that I didn't get the impression that he had done anything but leer at her kind of thing. Like, I didn't get but, the impression. But it was just still, like... It was gross. And that character is, you know, kind of physically the, unpleasant. But he's not creepy in the movie. No. In the movie, any in the movie, like, he's not, like repulsive to look at yeah i mean he's kind of a gross looking yeah monster but in this book they focus on how gross he is yeah and, and like and they, how lecherous he is oh like that was not necessary and especially yeah. because we see 
that Ray was sort of left in his sort of care when she was yeah. a child. Like, no, that character okay. doesn't need to be gross. Like, come on. That's, um... Yeah. That's, uh... My... Probably the, the lack of gender being a thing is my favorite part of Claudia Gray's Star Wars canon. Yeah. And I don't like that Alan Dean Foster kind of goes he doesn't go back on he it. He kind of makes it worse. He makes it worse, and I don't think that was necessary. And yeah, it's gross. Agreed. Um, what's the next? Are you still looking for stuff? Should I keep talking? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Um, I have a note for page eleven where I just thought this was interesting. I don't know why or why they did this or what the point was. Okay. Um, when they introduced BB eight. Mm -hmm. Um. They interchangeably use the pronouns it and him, and I don't hmm. understand. I don't know if it's just bad grammar, hmm. um, but I thought it was interesting because they do they go back on it a few times. Yeah, um, they go between it and him. Yeah, and the the characters tend to call BB-8 him. Yeah, so I don't know why they use it as a pronoun for BB-8 in a few cases. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, on the same, within the same... Within the same sentence. The, yeah, yeah. And it's like, what? Yeah. I don't understand. Anyway, and it's like, whenever they have internal dialogue, maybe it's always thinking about himself as him. Okay. Um, but I think sometimes when it's more objective, they use it, it like, the dream. Right. Anyway. Just kind of weird. Um, it stuck out to me, though. Um, do you want to say an end of point? Um, oh yeah, I, f I found the dialogue, Kylo Ren's, uh, dialogue with, um, with, uh, Maitaka, which is just, like... Extra. Yeah, picture the Kylo Ren of the movie saying this dialogue in the scene where he, he, Maitaka comes to tell him that, uh, BB-8 escaped on the Millennium Falcon and he throws a fit. And this is the start of that scene. Um, <clears throat> uh... At the moment, Maitaka would have rather been anywhere else in the civilized galaxy than alone in a room with Kylo Ren. The caped figure did not turn. He did not have to. Maitaka knew Ren was as aware of his arrival as if he had watched him approach. He was tracking the lieutenant with something other than eyes. Something to report, lieutenant? Or have you come, like myself, to marvel at the view? Sir? A gloved hand rose to take in the sweep of light and energy arrayed before them. They're at a window. Look at it, Lieutenant. So much beauty among so much turmoil. In a way, we are but an infinitely smaller reflection of the same conflict. It is the task of the First Order to remove the disorder from our own existence so that civilization may be returned to the stability that promotes progress. A stability, a stability that existed under the Empire was reduced to anarchy by the rebellion, was inherited in turn by the so-called Republic, and will be restored by us. Future historians will look upon this time, uh, look upon this as the time when a strong hand brought the rule of law back to civilization. Maitaka forebode mentioning that the Republics had developed their own codes of law. To do so would have been indelicate, and he had doubted that Ren was in the mood for a political discussion of any kind. Standing the tension, he presented his brief report, etc. That's kind of basically the same as the movie. Also, then Ren, on the next page, uh, accuses him of equivocating like a senator. Like, 
does any of that sound like Kylo Ren? No. no, it doesn't. Like that is something that Hux would have said. Yeah, that's not something Kylo would have said. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think that the like Kylo Ren caring about politics doesn't. It just doesn't feel appropriate for his character. No, I actually had that noted down to the page ninety two. Yeah, it, it's so it's so extra. Like, yeah, yeah. It's it's a weird choice to characterize Kylo Ren like that, and uh, I don't know if he was coached um, by the filmmakers about that, but it doesn't feel consistent with the character that we see not in the movie. So. Um, the next point I had was they talk about Laura Santeca a little bit, mm-hmm. and um, in the movies we don't really get any sense of who he is. We don't even know his name in the movie. He's he's, he's the, just credited. He's the guy who gives Poe the map to Luke Skywalker and gets killed by Kylo Ren in the opening sequence. Yeah, um, I think it's cool that they refer to him in this as a soldier of fortune. Oh, like a mercenary. Yeah. Because I thought he was more like a Jedi or something, but he's a soldier of fortune. Cool. Yeah. So I, I don't know, like, I don't know how much to believe this, like, how much of this book is canon. Yeah, I mean, they've said, um, I think it was... It's probably been checked by somebody, right? Yeah, and, and I think it was Pablo Hidalgo who said that um, the books are canon, except when they contradict with the movie, and then the movie is takes canon. precedence. Um, with the exception of the Revenge of the Sith novelization, because um, it's been decanonized since Clone Wars, because they introduced it characters in Clone Wars that are not referenced right. in the movie, so that it's not canon anymore. But it's considered legends. But anyway, of course, I I think like some of this, the content is canon, but not. It's like um, I like to think of it as. You know, it's got like an unreliable narrator or something where it's not actually what really happened. Like, I can't, I can't accept that canon Kylo Ren said all the things that he says in this book. So, um, he, these events may have taken place, but I'm choosing not to imagine him actually saying these things all the time, exactly as they're written. I think it's, the one thing about that passage that I think is interesting, though, is like, what if Kylo does think about this stuff, but he just doesn't articulate it? Yeah. Like, maybe he does. Because I think he is definitely... One of the interesting things about the movie is we don't know what Kylo Ren is thinking. No. And because a lot of people have theories about him being, you know, like a double agent, like a Snape. Right. <laughs> Why are we... Are we la- we're laughing because it's Kylo more... Ren is the Snape. More Harry Potter references. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh so like i think maybe he does have this whole doctrine where he actually believes this bullshit or maybe he doesn't and he's a double agent i don't know yeah well i mean obviously he's he's leia's son he would know about politics and he would be he's that's true he's not dumb or we assume that he isn't mostly um so but it's just the kind of level of political yeah sort of for for somebody with these kind of opinions he certainly gets manipulated and played like a fiddle by snoke at ev- in every scene he's in with snoke snoke plays him like an instrument yeah and he falls for it every time 
Yeah. So um, it's just that character in the movie, you get the impression that he could be manipulated by Snoke. Whereas the character presented in the novel is much more self-assured and eloquent and articulate. And, uh, yeah, he, he just doesn't come across quite as, um, unsure of himself. Yeah. As he does in the movie. He's more of a Shakespeare villain in yeah. this book. Yeah. Um, do you want to read a point? Um... I've got some passages here bookmarked that I, I really wanted to talk about. Um, Just start at the beginning, I guess. Yeah. I like... Um, I do like... He, I generally enjoy his Poe characterization. I think Poe is cheeky and cute. Agreed. And uh, there's a scene where he flirts with his, um, like, stormtrooper captors, and I thought that was... Yeah, I like that. that. That's, a cute, I like that. that's a cute scene. And, uh, because you can picture Oscar Isaac playing it that way, and so I think he did capture sort of what Poe is all about. Um, yeah. Which, which is cute. Just flirting with everyone. Yeah, flirting with everybody. Can I flirt with it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, uh, one of the points I have that I want to talk about is, uh, on page 36, Ray and BB-8 meeting for the first time. Okay. And, uh... Okay, so she captures, or she frees him from the Tito, and she tells him where to go, and then uh, then you get this line of dialogue. Beeping softly, the droid started to follow, halting over when she turned on it sharply. Don't follow me. You can't come with me. I don't want anyone with me, you understand? More beeping, distinctly anxious this time. She grew angry. No, and don't ask me again. I'm not your friend. I don't have any friends. This is Jakku. Nobody has friends here. Just fellow survivors. You're like, yeah. Like, we didn't get that. Like, you know, yeah. you, that, that's just... It's too much. Yeah, you don't need to say that. <laughs> um, you can give us that impression before this without Ray having to say, I don't have any friends because this is Jakku. Like, yeah. we don't... You don't want to have to say that. That's the that's a classic like. Don't say it. Just it's a classic yeah. uh, show don't tell kind of thing. Agreed. Um, so yeah, I have that. I have another just follow up that comes shortly after that. Yeah. Um, this is more about the the Ankar Plut mm. thing. Mm -hmm. So in the scene where um Ankar Plut tries to buy BB-8 from Ray. Yeah. They actually make it different in this. Yeah, they do. So, and I and I don't like it because it makes Ray vengeful, not altruistic. Mm -hmm. She's trying to get back at Ankar Plutt. It's she doesn't just she doesn't just decide to not give up BB-8. Yeah, and she very she goes way farther in considering selling him than she yeah. does in the movie. And she, in this, she it it makes it more about her like victimhood, um, like. Like, thinking he's gross and not wanting him to have power over her. Yeah. Which is just... Yeah, it's like a whole fucking plot line. Yeah. I hate it. Anyway. Yeah, Ankar plot. It's unnecessary. He didn't need to be creepy. This was a... Okay, I have a point on page 40 after that. Okay. Okay. Well, what's your point on page 39? Oh, it was about... Oh, yeah. It was more Kylo Ren's, um... <sighs> Okay, here, here's how I'm going to justify Kylo Ren in this book. Okay. He, because I think this speaks to that, he wants to be the Shakespeare villain. Mm. 
he wants to be the sort of smooth and charming and um, Machiavellian mastermind. And he can keep it up when he's not feeling it, but he, as soon as you get him going, his emotions, like, take over everything and he just, like, loses his cool. Because this scene where he's interrogating Poe, he's got some really purple dialogue. Purple in the, like, yeah. you know, purple prose sense. Um, and I just wanted to read the sure. the passage. So uh, Poe is, you know, strapped to the um, interrogation chair. And um, Kylo Ren asks him if he's comfortable. Poe did his best to sound nonchalant. Not really. He gestured as best he could with a shackled hand. The accommodations leave something to be desired. I regret the necessity. They're gratuitous in my presence. But those others who have made your acquaintance possess only the most primitive abilities, and further defiance on your part would demand their unnecessary exertions. <laughs> he bent toward the prisoner. None of this unpleasantness need be necessary. We both wanted the same thing from the old man. Perhaps he was more forthcoming with you than he was with me. Poe made a show of seriously considering the proposal before replying phlegmatically, Might want to rethink your technique. Hard to get cooperation from a dead man. Wren stood back, looming over the prisoner. A truism on which you might personally wish to reflect. It is pathetic, though, is it not? You and I, both in pursuit of a ghost. Anyway, like... Uh, he, it's so, it's so, like... Yeah, I don't. I don't know that much. Kylo Ren would use the word truism or gratuitous or <laughs> like I don't know, but but then if you picture it being like he wants to sound like smart and cool and tough, yeah, it's yeah. like you can maybe imagine that he's sort of doing it on purpose. Um, like he's trying. He's trying too hard. Um, yeah, I can sort of picture that, but it's a different character than yeah the character we see in the movie. Yeah, and I I just. I don't, I'm, I just wasn't super impressed with Kylo Ren's characterization, for the most part. His dialogue is... Are we going to get into trouble for reading, like, long passages of the book on a podcast? Uh, or I wouldn't describe it as long passages. We're, we're quoting it, that's probably you're allowed okay. to quote in reviews. That's... Okay. What have you got? Um, on page 40, I have I have a note that says, Hux was pleased. That meant nothing. Is, <laughs> okay. that, a, is that a quote? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. It's basically like, I think Ky yeah. Kylo's just like, I don't care. Yeah, oh, oh my god. I don't care I, what like, Hux thinks. I have, a whole, I have a whole arc that I want to talk to you about that. Alright, sure. Yeah, it says, Hux was plainly pleased, though that meant nothing to Ren. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. I want to point out... That every time Kylo and Hux share a scene in this book, there is some... This is, that's my favorite part of this book. I mean, let's be clear. Um, every time they share a scene, there's some reference to how they feel about each other. From mm -hmm. every time Hux thinks about it, he's... Uh, I think I, I saved... Stupid friend. I hate him so much. Yeah, he's such an asshole and he only thinks about himself. And he, he's really the worst. His stupid face. So <laughs> he doesn't think about his face, which no, I wish he did, but he doesn't. Um, but he, yeah. And there's this one scene where, um, for those of you who are wondering what our favorite Star Wars ships are <laughs> that aren't that aren't the special forces type, a lot, a lot of people were listening to that oh, episode yeah. and they were like, 
He didn't talk about the relationship. That's true. Yeah, we just talked about the spaceships. Yeah. <laughs> I think both of ours is Kyle. Yeah. Kylox. Spoiler alert. Yeah. I think it is. It's um. That's Kylo Ren and General Hux. Anyway. It's true. And uh, all their scenes in this book are excellent. Uh, the scene where um, they're talking about uh, the clone army. Like, you know, Supreme Leader Snoke should consider using a clone army. Yeah. And then Ren walks away. Hux thinks about how it's so much worse when he just ignores him. And, and like, he, he, he wishes he would at least insult him. Because it's so much worse when he just doesn't acknowledge him. He doesn't think about him at oh all. Oh my god. And he's so sad about it. He doesn't think he's sad, but he's sad. You can tell. And then for Kylo's point... Oh yeah, here it is. Um, Ren had access to a great many aspects of knowledge from, from which ordinary mortals like himself were excluded, Hux knew. He would have inquired further, but the taller man had already turned and headed off. Ren's indifference was far more unsettling than would have been anything as common as a straightforward insult. Shaking off the encounter, Hux turned his attention back to the lieutenant's console. I like in that passage <clears throat> that he's thinking about how tall he is. The taller man. Oh yeah, the taller figure. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't yeah. necessary. It's true. It's true. I didn't notice their height difference. But... Yeah. Yeah, and in, in the mo- in the movie, there's a two-inch height di- difference between them that is, like, played up at every turn by Which, everybody. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, so, and then when, when Ren thinks about Hux, it's, he's angry that, he's literally angry that he's wasting time thinking about him. He's like, <laughs> like... Oh, Hux is not worth all this thought that I put into him, and I yeah, mean, I mean, like no, that. I'm not thinking about him, and I hate it. And That's a good one. It's it's a really good one. So there's like there's kind of this interplay every time they're both, um, uh, anytime they're both on screen, they're thinking about um, they're thinking about each other and how much they hate each other. It's adorable. Yeah, it is. It is pretty adorable. Um, okay, my next point is on page 63. Do you have anything before that? Um. Looks like you got a lot. That was the one about... Oh, I'm on 62, so go ahead. Okay, my point is I like that they address Finn's agoraphobia. Oh, yeah. It's really cool that they they talk about how Finn has been raised in ships all of his life. Mm -hmm. So he's kind of freaked out when he's in the wilderness yeah when he's on the in the desert which i thought was really cool because i never thought about that like yeah finn finn would be really scared to like not have food around yeah or not have any sort of walls around him yeah well and here's a good line too is agoraphobia um, the right word for that yep <clears throat> okay, cool. Anything one needed was readily available right at hand. Yeah. Food, food, water, entertainment, sleeping facilities, all were no, no more than a few steps away. It was more than a little ironic that somebody comfortable in the vastness of space should suddenly find himself suffering from a touch of agoraphobia. Yeah. Yeah, I, cool. really, I really like his character in that context. Like, mm-hmm. His whole life, everything's sort of been, like, set up for him. Yeah. And, like, now he doesn't have any of that. He has to make... He, a, he Not only does he have to make his own choices yeah. for the first time in his life, but he's also been stripped of, like, 
everything. Basically, like, exiled by his family. Yeah. Like, like, he's sort of, like, yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. Oh, I was, my page, I've got a note here on 62 right before that. Yeah. Um, Hux is talking to the technician about, um, finding proof about, uh, that the, the Finn and Poe were killed when the TIE fighter was shot down, and he is hoping that they bring him back some skulls. Oh, I love <laughs> that. like, pretty hilarious. I really like Hux in this book. Yeah, he's, uh, he's got a lot more characterization in the, um... Yeah. Yeah, he wants... Biological traces are acceptable, but a couple of skulls would be better. <laughs> such a Nazi. Yeah. Although there is a scene that I, I did bookmark where um, uh, the scene that uh, when Ren is talking to Snoke in the audience chamber after Ray escapes and then Hux walks in to be like, oh, Krylome Ren fucked up again. Um, Snoke suggests blowing up the whole Ilenium system where the resistance base is. Yeah. And Hux is like, wait, what? No, like, we shouldn't do that. Like, why would we waste more planets? Like, no, let's let's just figure out which one is the resistance base. We'll blow up that one. But it's a, a waste to blow up all the other planets. And then Snoke is like, who gives a shit? Do it anyway. And then he's like, okay. Mm-hmm. But I thought that was an interesting... Is that in the movie? No. They don't even have that conversation in the movie. Interesting. Um, or he says, like, fire on the system, and Hux is like, cool, let's do it. Um, and I think that's an interesting, like, he, even more so in the book than in the movie, is a true believer in the First Order. I, yeah, I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and, like, what that means. Yeah, what that means to him. And it, yeah, his, cause his speech is longer in the book. Mm-hmm. And he's got a couple of, like, I don't want to use the word interesting points, because that implies that I... Like, yeah, I think he does. He's got a, he's got a, a, he believes, and like, I think one of the interesting things about this book is he believes not just in the first order, whatever that, Mm -hmm. it brings, it makes me wonder about what that name means and who who came up with it. Um, but, and I feel like that might actually come up in the movies. Like, Mm -hmm. like maybe the first order is a thing. Mm -hmm. It, um, but, like, I get the sense in this book that Hux believes in the concept of order. Yeah. And, yeah, like, definitely. to the point where he worships it. Yeah. Which I think is really cool. hmm And he, for him to feel, like, here, here's the, the sequence. Snoke replied with cold satisfaction. We do not need it. Prepare the weapon. Destroy their system. Collected and composed as he was, Hux was not immune to surprise. The system... Supreme Leader, according to the most recent gallographics, at least two and possibly three habitable, wor- habitable worlds circle Ilenium. Following the destruction of the Hosnian worlds, would it not be worthwhile to simply destroy their base and claim the remaining for the Order? We will have the location of the base within a matter of hours, and Snoke cut him off. We cannot wait. Not even for hours. So, Hux argues against blowing up the other system, the other planets in the system unnecessarily. He, obviously, I don't know if we have to say this, but obviously it was wrong to blow up the Hosmian system. Obviously. But Mm -hmm. you get the impression 
from that character's characterization in this book, he's not doing it because he thinks it would be fun or badass mm -hmm. or like he's not doing it because he likes blowing up planets. He actually believes that, well, incorrectly or whatever, that it's going to further their cause and send a message to the galaxy that he believes in. Um, yeah, he doesn't, he has a reason. Yeah, he doesn't believe in a unnecessary waste. No. He's not taking pleasure in blowing up the planets. I really like that characterization of, of Fox. Yeah. And even just, like, you can imagine there's other people who work for the First yeah. Order who, like, believe in that. Yeah. And I think, like, Snoke does not. No, Snoke Sno doesn't believe Snoke doesn't in that. care about any of that. So we have, we don't really get any more um, insight into what Snoke's deal is. Which is fine. Yeah. I like that we don't know. Yeah. Um... Yeah, you had a note, or, yeah, we're sort of jumping all over the place, but... Yeah, we can try to go in order. Um, I just noticed we're at, like, an hour already, so do you want wow. to, um, do you want to make this a two-parter, or do you want to just make it a two-hour podcast? How much do you have a lot? Like, where are your notes? I'm here. I still have maybe about 16 points to make. They're all quick. Okay. Um... Well, we can just keep talking and then just cut it off. If okay, um, no, okay, sure. Um, my next point is on page one thirty-four. Okay. And it's about the comments about um, them calling Princess Leia a princess, and it's still being unfamiliar to call her not a princess. Right. Which is bullshit. She's not a princess after A New Hope. Yeah, I know. They, they, she's Princess Leia in Bloodline, though. What the fuck? The whole time, because she, she's Isn't, not... Shouldn't she be Queen Leia? Well, I guess, like, Alderaan doesn't exist anymore, so, like, she doesn't so she's become a, Queen of Leia. Of... She's in a perpetual state of being a princess? Yeah. That feels weird to me. They, yeah, they call her Princess Leia in the, in, in Bloodline. And... She's not a general yet in in that book. So she is senator. Yeah, yeah. They call her senator too. Senator Princess Leia. <laughs> anyway, there's just a. I think it's C three PO who says yeah. something about it, where he's like, it still felt felt unfamiliar to call her. Yeah. Actually, some of my favorite shit in this book is the three PO stuff. <laughs> he's so cute in this book. He's like he the parts. There's like scenes with him where he's like. um... I like how much they cut back to the resistance base. Yeah. And like there's scenes where C3PO is like talking to R2 and R2 is deactivated. Yeah. And he's like filling in R2's dialogue. Yeah, and he's he's talking to... Yeah, they have such a nice friendship it's in this book. So cute. Yeah, and R2 is to like totally inactive, but C3PO's been talking to him this whole time. It's adorable. Yeah. And he's like R2, what would you do? And then and then he's like, oh, if R2 was here, he would say this. And he's like, oh, good idea, R2. <laughs> oh, C3PO. He's so adorable so in this book. Yeah. Like, I don't, in the movies, I don't think he's really, like, he's definitely not adorable in the movies. No. He's just kind of, but in the books, he's so fucking cute. Oh, there's, um, uh, <laughs> Snap Wexley is in this scene. Snap Wexley. 134. Um, yeah, he's in a bunch of those scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of my big points here is C-3PO is adorable. Yeah. 
Yeah, they have a really cute friendship. And I like how they have the scene where C-3PO is like, I'll send out the call to our droid network. Yeah. Which hooks up with that scene in Maz's... Yeah. With, with like, the droid who calls yeah. back to the resistance. It's I thought true. that was cool. It was cool. And I like that they have a droid network. Yeah, that is cool. Like a network of droid friends that they, like, gather intelligence from. Yeah. And I imagine it's, like, in my head, it's, like, there's, like, um, they're all, like, you know, like, uh, a butcher droid and, like, a laundromat droid. Right. Like, they're all these, like, really minor. Yeah. But they're just everywhere, so, like, they collect information for the resistance. I think that's a cool concept. Uh, do you want to do one? Um, yeah, and related to that, um, sort of on that scene, there's a couple of, like, all these minor characters, like Lor Santeca, um, who doesn't even get named in, in the movie, um, and another one of those characters is, uh, named Coracella, who is Leia's envoy to the Senate, and you can actually see her, she is in the movie, she is shown during the Starkiller attack on Hosnian Prime, and the camera, like, focuses in on her and a bunch of, sort of, other people and aliens around her as the beam is coming to blow up the Hosnian system, and that character, her name is Coracella, and she's Leia's envoy to the Senate, and Leia sends her to deliver a, a warning about the First Order, basically, um, on her behalf, because Leia thinks that she'll be assassinated if she goes back to the Senate. And, uh, yeah. so she sends Kor to deliver this message and she gets blown up on Hosnian Prime. And she is one of the main characters in Bloodline. Ooh. So, cool. Um, we already know what happens to her. Actually, we... Interesting. Yeah. But, so she's one of the main characters. You can't wait to read Bloodline. It's, uh, uh, we talked about it a little bit last week or two weeks ago, last two weeks ago on the podcast, I can't remember. No, uh, last week. And yeah, um, last week. I finished it this weekend, and thumbs up, two thumbs up. So cool. we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. So get on that, listeners, so that you can come back and discuss it with us. Okay. okay. Next point. Um, this is a fairly big one that I thought was really interesting, and I, I, I don't know if it's canon or not. But page 139, it says, Snoke has watched the Empire for a long time. Hmm. Yeah. So, who is he then? Like, yeah. I think that's really interesting because it says that he was, he's been around for a long time. Yes. And Snoke knows that um, Vader turned back to the light side before he died. Interesting. How do we know that? Because he he reminds Kylo about it. He has this whole scene... Interesting. In, in the scene that, um... When... Uh... Snoke warns Kylo that... The droid has fallen into his father's hands. He has a conversation with Kylo where he reminds him, like... What, what befell the Empire? What brought down the Empire, Kylo? And his answer is sentiment and Snoke goes on to remind him exactly um that Vader's decision to spare Luke and kill the Emperor was a momentary lapse of judgment and a, a fatal error that brought down the whole empire right. that moment of weakness um and it's it's not subtle 
what he's saying to Kylo in this scene. And if, if we don't know it's coming, we don't necessarily see the resonance. But if we've seen what happens, it's, to me, it's very clear that he's essentially told him already that he is going to need to face and kill his father and probably his, his mother if he's going to go on. Because um, the way that he describes, you know, it's sort of like a don't you forget if Vader had managed to kill Luke when he had the chance, the Empire would still be around. And Kylo, like, here's the, here's the response to that. So he says, Snoke says, Had Lord Vader not succumbed to emotion at the crucial moment, had the father killed the son, the Empire would have prevailed, and there would be no threat of Skywalker's return today. And then Kylo's response to that is, I am immune to the light. Red assured him confidently. By the grace of your training, I will not be seduced. He hasn't implied that he would be. Taken mm. out of context, he's telling him this story about the Emperor. But Kylo is obviously hearing what Snoke is actually saying to him, which is, when the time comes, don't you dare make the same mistake. And then Kylo is saying, I, prom like, I promise that I won't. It won't be a problem. Yeah. Um, I think they've... Like, you know, there, there's, there's some more stuff in this scene sort of related so to that, but... where is this author getting this stuff from? Is he making it up? Or is this from the original script? Or is it... Yeah, or is he talking to the story group? I don't know, but it's, yeah. it, it's like, a lot of this stuff is not... Yeah. It changes the context of certain things in the movie. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and it's interesting. Like, if Snoke's watched The Emperor, Empire for a long time, it means he's either... Literally the Emperor. Yeah. Which is a theory I've heard recently, like, what if Snoke is actually the Emperor? Right. Who yeah. survived? Um, or he's, like, the Emperor's master, he's, like, Plagueis. Mm -hmm. Or he's, like, someone else who, you know, he was, yeah, like... it's just something, so, yeah. But he was there. Yeah. Is what he's saying. Yeah. And Leia tells Han that he's been watching Kylo since Kylo was born. So he's been around for a while, so it's, like... It's really mysterious. Yeah. Yeah. Who the heck is this guy? Obviously. And I don't know. we do have, um, there is some First Order stuff, as you might imagine, in Bloodline, but there's no Snoke. Um, Good. We don't have any Snoke, and we do get one hint about who is one of the major founders of the First Order. Okay, don't tell me. I won't, I won't tell you, but it's... Is it interesting? It's really interesting. I mean... It's kind of implied by the narrative, and we've already talked about it, but it is very interesting. Cool. And uh, I, liked, I liked it very much, so, um, as, as I would. So, um, yeah, so Snoke, like, Snoke, yeah, and um, what I really like, I mean, there are things about the writing that I do really like, and often... One of my favorite things, especially in the context of like the Star Wars canon, because we know that there's so much that they're purposely holding back, is what isn't being said in between some of these lines. Like it, in saying, in using some of these words, what are they saying? 
by not saying it. So when Snoke is telling Kylo, you know, the droid is aboard the Millennium Falcon in the hands of your father, Han Solo, and he says, even you, master of the Knights of Ren, have never faced such a test. Ren considered his reply carefully. It does not matter. He means nothing to me. My allegiance is with you, and no one will stand in our way. And then Snoke says, you know, we shall see. But the line, Ren considered his reply carefully, you know, what, what we're getting there is that he has to think about it. And he knows that what he says now is going to be really important because Snoke is paying specific attention to that. And he doesn't really know what, like, his response is not on the tip of his tongue. He's got to moderate a response to that because his instinct is not what Snoke... I think it's his instinct is not what Snoke wants to hear. And he has to think of how to say it to not let Snoke see his doubts like he has with uh, sure. Vader's helmet in the, cup, in the previous scene. Yeah. <clears throat> so my next thing is they comment, they talk about Ray's appetite. Oh. <laughs> um, Ray can eat for days. Right. Which makes sense, because he's a scavenger. Yeah. And food is scarcer. Yeah. He's hungry. But I just think it's really cute that she can... <laughs> yeah. She's got a big appetite. Mm-hmm. She just loves to eat. She's like a Goku. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, do you have another... Want to see another point? Um, what is this? What is this one? Oh, Ray's Force Vision. Marie's forest vision is really interesting in this mm -hmm. book. It is. There's uh, extra stuff that is not in the movie, or there's yeah, some, there is. There's uh, small details that are that are not in the movie. It's really cool. It is really cool. Should we should we talk about that? Yeah, let's talk about that. Okay. So two of the things that I noticed in Ray's forest vision, which is when she uh, picks up Luke's lightsaber and has um, what they've been calling the force back. Not a flashback, but a force back. That's what they that's what they're calling it. And um, so there's two. Like, there's a couple of differences. One of them, which is not from what I remember in the movie, the very first thing she sees is um, like on Bespin. She sees like the um, fight between. Uh, Vader and and uh, Luke and then someone somewhere some, someone somewhere someone spoke her name hello wreathed in the irrationality of the moment she called hopefully but received no answer a boy appeared at the end of the hallway she started towards him and the world turned inside out causing her to trip and fall like what's that about like who is that I don't know. Yeah. And, like, that's not in the movie. We don't see a figure in her uh, tunnel vision before she trips. Yeah. But who is that boy in this vision? I don't know. Like, is it is it Ben? Like, I, is it Luke? Like, would they describe... I don't think that they would describe Luke at that age as a boy. 
Um, I have a comment about boys after. Okay. The word boys. Yeah. And um, so later in the scene, when she's um, she hears she's in the snowy woods, and she hears a voice, that voice, that says, "Stay here. I'll come back for you." And she calls, where are you? And the response is, I'll come back, sweetheart. I promise. So if, if that's a memory of her being left on Jakku, obviously the implication is that it's somebody who loved her, who left her there. A parent, um, a family member of some kind, uh, probably, and probably an adult. Um, there's a lot of theories, and one that I also enjoy that it was that she was um, one of Luke's students at the academy uh, when she was a child, and that's why she has some force knowledge already. And uh, that it was Kylo who leaves her on Jakku because he couldn't kill her when he killed everybody else. And I think that's supported by another line in this where he says, yeah. It is you. Yeah, I know. Like, what is... Where's this author getting his information? I it's know. so frustrating to me because I don't know if he's making this up. Yeah. If he's not making it up, that's a fairly major piece of information. I know, and like, on... Because that, that's my best, my best guess, is that... Yeah. She's Luke's daughter or someone like that. Yeah. And Kylo is like... Figures it out. Yeah. Um... Like he saw her as a child or something. Yeah, and uh, that's that line that uh, Dave is referring to is in their uh, woods fight at the end of the book uh, and at the end of the movie. Um, and um, she, when he's trying to get Luke's lightsaber and she uh, calls it to herself first. And his response, like, taken aback, he whirled to see the weapon land in the hand of a girl standing by a tree. Ray appeared equally shocked that her reach for the device had exceeded his. She gazed down at the weapon, now resting in her grip. It is you, Ren murmured. And, like, Twitter apparently said that, oh, it was just, um, he means, uh, it's you that, that was awakened. The Force was awakened. But I feel like, no, come on. Like, he already knows at this point in the book that she's strong with the Force. He literally uses those words to Snoke. He knows that. Yeah. She um, mind tricks a stormtrooper. She throws him out of her own mind and into his. She sees into his mind. And he already knows that she's awoken with the Force. But before this, he's kind of like... He has this scene where, where he is interrogating her. And he has a line about how Really? That's all you are? Just a scavenger from Jakku? Like, I, what the hell? Like, I don't get this. And then when she she gets Luke's lightsaber here and he's like, oh shit, no, it is you. Yeah. Like, I, he's suspected this whole time. Yeah, he's like, you're not that person, are yeah, you? You're yeah, not, you're not this scavenger. Or you're not just a scavenger like you think you are. Yeah, he suspects she's someone else. Yeah, and I think this is the moment when that's confirmed for him. Um, yeah. And then... Right after that, the, the prose is, his words unsettled her. Not for the first time, he seemed to know more about her than she did about herself. But she had no time to ponder his comment. So, I, like, he's, that's gotta be something. Like, you can't just throw this stuff, um, I don't know. out there without it meaning anything. 
I mean, it's still, I think it's, for me, this is still speculation because it's in a book. It's not in a movie, but it's interesting. Um, My next point is that uh, Maz survives. Yes. Apparently she was, she's supposed, she was supposed to be in the movie as well. Again, they pick her up in that transport and take her back to the resistance base, but right uh, apparently it, it was sort of distracting so they they didn't include those scenes it's interesting i like Maz, so i hope she Me comes too. back in in later uh the later movies okay oh though i want to talk about that thing with the boy thing. oh yeah yeah so we had talked previously about in our last podcast we had talked about how weird it was that um han han says it was a boy that... Yeah, that turned against Luke. That turned against Luke. Yeah. And, like, if Kyle is 23, he's not a boy. Yeah. Han calls everyone a boy. Oh. Okay. So, like, Han calls Finn a boy. In this book, Han calls Luke a boy. He's, like, okay. nice shot kid. That was one of them. Like, he's, oh, right. That's he's true. He's always killing... He's always calling Luke um, a kid or a boy. Yeah. And they're not that big of an age difference. Right. So, he calls a lot of people a boy. That's true. And Finn is also 23. Yeah. So, if... So, he just calls... Yeah. That's true. And... And, uh, yeah, Han Solo is always, like, careful, boy. Don't get your... Yeah. It's just something he said. He just calls everyone a kid or a boy. Okay. So, fair. So, it could just be... Anyway, so, mystery solved. That is canon. So... Yeah. We can talk about that in the the Bloodline review. But, yeah. Okay, uh, do you have another point? Yes. Um, the scene where... I can't believe this is canon, um, because I think this is this is another one of those points that maybe raises more questions than it answers, yeah. which is they needed, uh, they needed an excuse for how Hux could get Kylo off of Starkiller in the 30 seconds that they have before the planet blows up. Like, he's in the base... Kylo fucked off to the woods somewhere. How do we find him and get him off the base in 30 seconds? And uh, they solve that by having him have a GPS device on his belt, which tracks. is fine. It tracks him. He's, Hux has got a friggin' data pad with his GPS tracker on it. But, and that's, that's fine. That makes sense. But I also think that that raises a lot of questions. Like, does Kylo know about his GPS tracker? Does, was it Kylo's idea? Is it Snoke's idea? Is it Hux's idea? Why is Hux in charge of it? Like, <laughs> why, why does... Like, when Snoke's like, go fetch Kylo Ren, Hux is like, ugh, this again. Like, he just... Pulled, this happened before. Yeah, he, so he's installed a chip in his... Yeah, he's got, like, this tracking app on his data pad... Where he's like, oh, okay, just like pull up my Kylo tracker and go find him because, <laughs> like, what is this a routine? Like he goes. Yeah, it's and like get... you would do to your dog. You just <laughs> yeah, put he... a little tracker. He goes gets himself lost all the time, so they have to go pick him up. And yeah, it's very in character. Yeah, does he know about it? And did he agree to it, or is this sort of like Snoke has ordered him to have this GPS, and he's just gotta find whatever agreed. Um, so, I mean, obviously they needed some sort of explanation for that, but um, I think that raises a lot of interesting questions, personally. A lot of interesting fanfic, mostly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
anyway, so yeah, the, he rescues him uh, right at the same time that Chewie comes to pick up Ray and Finn because uh, Huck sees Ray and Finn get away. Um, yeah. And uh, so then Hux and, and uh, Ren and a couple of other people also get away. Okay. I think that's all my major points. I have a few minor ones I could make. Okay. Do you have any other, like, really big points you want to talk about? Because I do want to start wrapping this up pretty yeah. soon. Um, no, those are, like, the main ones, I guess. I guess, um, something that kind of goes back to, uh, the fact that this book was, like, obviously written by a man, um, is that they... There were a couple of interesting things related to that. And that's, I think, the treatment of Kylo Ren's face. I know that maybe that's a random thing to say. But I feel like when Ray sees Kylo... When Kylo takes his helmet off in his interrogation room with Ray, she doesn't have much of a reaction to him. Her reaction to him is basically, hmm, this person looks really normal. Like, she was expecting him to look weird, and he looks normal, and that's her, like, that's her reaction to that. Uh, when I first read the book, I was disappointed by that scene, because I was like, really, that's all you're gonna say about Adam Driver's incredible face, is he looks normal? Because <laughs> he doesn't, but... Wait, what? He does look normal. Well, he looks normal, he's a normal human being, but, like, he has a very striking face, and I was expecting there to be more description. Okay, so that but, that's interesting because when I was watching the movie, yeah, um, I was like, I had the same reaction. I'm like, he looks like a fucking average, well, average fuck. Yeah, I was expecting him to be strikingly handsome or have a giant scar on his face. Right. But for me, Adam Driver was just like, he looks like a schmuck. <laughs> he looks like an average fucking white guy. Yeah. But he's, yeah, he's got an interesting face. Like, all of the, the proportions of his face are are interesting. And he does have a striking face, whether you would call it handsome is, it's is true. subjective. Yeah, he it's has, striking. He does have an interesting face. But then, when I was thinking about it again, I think that was also... I, I would like to think that's on purpose, rather than unconscious on Alan Dean Foster's part. Because, because that scene is from Ray's point of view... I think they want you to, they're, they're wanting to head off any kind of implication that she thinks he's attractive. Agreed. We're, we're biting, uh... Which is good. Yeah. We're biting this pairing right in the ass. Like, I, I, I was going for a metaphor there. I kind of got derailed. Nipped it in the butt. Nipped it in the butt. Nipped it in the butt. Yeah, that's what, that's what I meant. Um, yeah. It, because if we got that from her if we got anything other than yeah. oh he's just like a dude I could have seen him on the street somewhere um then it's giving like <laughs> why is that what do you think I'm just that? imagining Ray as like a teen teenager in our world now right. it's like she's just a random dude who I saw at the mall <laughs> yeah. it's like she literally well she doesn't think about it in the mall she thinks that he could have been somebody she saw on the streets of um like, her town. Right, her weird alien town. Her weird alien town. She's like, oh yeah, he's just some guy. She she says his face was normal, even sensitive. 
he has a sensitive face, which he, he does. He does. He does. He's a, a sensitive type. He, he is. Um, so I think, um, yeah, I think that was deliberate so that we didn't get the impression that Ray thought he was attractive. Agreed. Because they didn't want to give us, they didn't want us to think that she thought that. Yeah. And, um, but I was, I, like, I got my kind of, my hopes up for this, where I hoped that they would at least mention in passing when Kylo is talking to Snoke without his helmet, and, like, Hux walks in, and Kylo, like, in the movie, he, like, looks back and kind of, like, winces, like, oh, fuck, like, I'm not wearing my helmet, and now, okay, play it cool, like, Hux is here now, and I'm not wearing my helmet, and he can, like, see my face, and crap, and, like, Hux doesn't react, he just, like, flicks a glance at him and keeps talking, but, like, Kylo reacts to Hux seeing him, and then in the book, the next scene is Kylo, like, Kylo goes away, and all he can think about is how how frustrating it is that Hux always comes in at the worst moments, and then he hates, like, he hates, um, <laughs> he hates thinking about him because he's so unimportant and unspecial. I like that line. He's, he's so unspecial that he's, he's not worth wasting my thoughts on. Yeah, he's not worth w wasting time thinking about, but here I am thinking about it, and I'm so mad about that, and anyway, that's fine, I guess, but... I was hoping they would at least reference that, yeah, I guess they imply that he's upset about it and he's trying not to think about it, but yeah, Kylo Ren's face. Why? Stupid face. Yeah, Kylo Ren's stupid face. Why, why didn't we talk about it more? He's got a stupid face and... I could see maybe talking about his hair. He does have excellent hair. I guess he wouldn't know when he, at the time that he wrote this book, his perfectly toggled hair. He, he didn't know he was going to have perfect his hair face all the time. He's got a dumb face. I like his face, but I also like his dumb, stupid hair. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess that would have been weird. And his but eight pack. <laughs> his eight pack. I like his eight pack. They, I mean, he does, he does kind of... Have an eight pack. I was going to say that he sort of references that. You know, he's got, I mean, not, you know. How muscular he is? Is that what, is this canon in the book? Well, not really. He's just like, it's so dramatic. The scene where he's sitting with, um, his helmet, with the Darth Vader's helmet. And he's described. Naked. No, I don't think he's naked. Well, I mean, maybe he is. I don't know. It is not referenced. <laughs> he, he, he could be. He's not naked in the movie. Uh, he's wearing all his, and he's even wearing his mask, but. Alright. But here's how it's described in the book. Alone in the room, Kylo Ren, Saturnine of aspect, lithe of build, tortured of mien, and troubled oh of eye, God. gazed at the silent Shut recipient up. of his confession. <laughs> this this passage has been described on Tumblr as Ice Your Boner, Alan Dean Foster. <laughs> as a side note, if Kylo Ren was ever going to have sex with me, I'd make him wear the fucking helmet. Why? Because you like the helmet or because you don't like his face? A little of both. <laughs> A little of both. That hair, the hair though? You could have the hair coming out of the back of the helmet. Okay, true. Uh, well, he's your boyfriend. Apparently. According to a Star Wars quiz. Yeah, I'm over him. Okay. I'm with fair. Hux now. Mm, fair. Um, yeah, I, I guarantee you that if Kylo Ren had been a female character, we would have gotten a description of her luscious hair though. Oh, yeah. But, I'm sure. But, 
we did not because he is he's not. Alan Dean Foster has got to remind us that he doesn't think about the male characters. They can't look sexy. We know they're sexy. We've seen that movie. But, um... <laughs> Sorry, they are. All of them. So... Every one of them. Not even the droids. Well, I wasn't going to go that far. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking of... The... BB-8's a handsome boy. BB-8 is like a cute dog, not a handsome boy. <laughs> I bet someone out there has drawn a human version of BB-8. Yeah, but BB-8 would be like a little kid, right? Probably. A human version of BB-8 is a kid. Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, I'm just saying they cast handsome people in this movie, and I have to imagine them in this book, because... It's hard. Yeah. And on that note... <laughs> Let's wrap it up. <laughs> Final review? Um, it's fine. If you really like The Force Awakens and you want extra canon, read it. Like or listen to this podcast. Yeah, we talk about a lot of the extra stuff that they introduce in the book. Yeah. So, um, there, yeah, there is some extra canon. Some of it is interesting. Some of it is not. Um, picture all of the characters giving their dialogue in the movie, because it's much more charming than the actual dialogue. So Agreed. I agree. And It's, uh, it's fine. Yeah. it's. I described it as confident, which was not supposed to be high praise. No. But it's, it's okay. Um, yeah. It doesn't have that much style or flair like the Revenge of the Sith novel does, for example. And it doesn't add a lot to the Star Wars canon in a way that Lost Stars or Bloodline does. So... Uh, which has have to stand alone because they don't have a movie to back it up. So yeah, yeah, maybe consider uh, casting some ladies next time and maybe less creepers, Alan Dean Foster. Boom. Yeah, less creepers. Yeah, more ladies. Yeah, that's a good advice for anything. Yeah, yeah, but especially creepy books like this. Yeah. So <laughs> next time, our next book, Bloodline. Features no creepers and lots of ladies. So. Good. Yeah. And we'll be doing that on episode 10. This is episode 6. Yep. So episode, every four episodes we're going to do a book club. Yep. So feel free. you got a whole month to read it. Yep. Before we discuss it. Can't wait. Okay. Um, Alright. You want to do our sign off? Want to give your Twitter? Okay. Um, I'm at Duskheart. And I'm at Dana underscore Howell. And uh, we'll see you next week. Um, our opening and ending music is, I'm going to get it right this time, <laughs> okay. Breakfast with Tiffany by Broke for Free. Awesome. And you can find more of his music in the description. Awesome. And, uh... Actually, has a lot of good music. Cool. Um, and we will see you next week when we're going to talk about Star Wars propaganda. Propaganda, yeah. We're going to talk about the propaganda and probably the Princess Leia comic, because that's related to that. And probably more of our Imperial Assault campaign. Yeah, yeah, we'll have episode two uh, this weekend. Alright, kids. Bye. Bye. Bye.